Amen. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to the book of Revelation. You want to follow along during the sermon. Uh, chapter 18. Things are moving along as we began this book a few months ago. We've now come, or we now come to the 18th chapter. And as we saw last week, the mystery Babylon, we're told in verse 5, mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, the woman that he saw uh, clothed in scarlet, sitting on a scarlet or blood-colored beast, uh, clothed with diamonds and gold and precious stones, uh, drunk with the blood of the saints, ruling over the kings of the earth, as he concludes in verse 17, John says, uh, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Uh, her doom and destruction is prophesied. It is certain. We read now in chapter 18 very clearly the description of the destruction of the papal, I believe, world system. Uh, every false view of Christianity, everything that's false, in the area of religion comes up under the heading because it's not just uh, Babylon, the harlot church, but the mother of harlots. So there's many offspring that have followed the path of the, what I believe is the uh, Roman church. But we'll, we'll consider that in a minute. Let's hear God's word. Chapter 18 of Revelation. John writes, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, 
every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, and horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches have come to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us now. Open your word to our hearts and our minds, and open our minds to your holy word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. A lot going on in this chapter, so we'll try to summarize and make application and trust that the Lord will apply it to our hearts. As we saw last week in verse 18 of chapter 17, that woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. That's a transitional verse because he goes from talking about a woman, the harlot that was seated on the beast. Uh, She was clothed as they described the city having been clothed in the same way in scarlet and purple and with gold and jewels and pearls. Uh, The woman that's described in 17, symbolically, we're told it's actually a city. And so we see here in chapter 18, it speaks of the city uh, being destroyed. Uh, We were told earlier that it's a city that sits upon seven hills. And that that great city um, was eventually destroyed, or will be eventually destroyed. 
And, you know, we understand historically it's pretty common knowledge that when John wrote that the city of Rome is noted for being founded on seven hills. Um, there's actually seven hills that were named. And there's an eighth hill, by the way. You know, and John talks about the, the various kingdoms and he says, you know, there were seven kings, five have already fallen. He's about the kingdoms of the world. He said one presently is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he'll last for a little while. Then there's a, an eighth one that's of the seven. And it is funny because that eighth hill in Rome, it's not reckoned with the original seven. It's the hill called the Vatican Hill or uh, Vaticanus. And that's the hill where the Vatican has its, its seat. So let's look at this and see. Uh, generally, you know, I understand this to be a reference to the great harlot church that corrupted the world all through the Middle Ages. Around the year 606, the Bishop of Rome began to make outrageous claims, saying that he was the head of the church, he was the vicar of Christ on earth, and that unless you were in submission to him, you could not be saved. He was opposed by other uh, patriarchs in various cities at that time. Uh, but he continued to insist on that. Augustine uh, talked about the fall of Rome in 404. Before that, Constantine had moved the capital from Rome to uh, currently, today, the city is known as Istanbul. It was Constantinople. He removed the head of the Roman Empire from the city of Rome to Constantinople. And then from his time, that's considered to be the uh, Christian Roman Empire. It went from pagan to Christian, and then later it went to papal. That's the eighth kingdom generally understood. Well, let's see here. John sees this. He sees this woman. Uh, it, he said that you know, her sins have come up to heaven. The, the ten horns that are on the beast that she rides on generally understood to mean the, the kingdoms that Rome, the Roman Empire broke into ten kingdoms. They're going to turn on the harlot, and they're going to destroy her, we're told in chapter 17. Um, and so in 18 says, After these things, John says, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Keep in mind, this is a symbolic book, chapter 1, verse 1. John said, you know, the Lord, he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. And that word signified in Greek, if you look it up, it means to show by signs. So there are symbols in this book. We're often we're seeing things represented. And it was necessary in one sense uh, because direct statements, you know, if you wrote, if you were a, an apostle or prophet, you said, Rome is going to be destroyed. Well, as soon as that got in the hands of the authorities, you're now a traitor. And anybody that's part of the Christian movement, they were still called traitors. But God gave his word symbolically so his people would understand what's going on in light of his word also in the Old Testament or the books we call Old Testament. Uh, they'd understand, hey, when old Babylon, the city, uh, was destroyed, God called his people out of that also, and uh, very similar things. Here we're reading about spiritual Babylon. So he sees a great angel coming down. Now somebody said, well, the word angel means messenger. Could this be uh, a preacher, somebody that comes like Martin Luther? Some have said this could be Luther because as he came and preached the gospel, it's shown over the whole earth, and everything's been changed since... Luther began preaching the gospel of God's sovereign grace, saying that men are justified by faith alone, not by their works, and dealt quite a blow to the whole papal system of sacraments and priests. But here, however we understand this, John sees an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. 
So light shines when this one comes. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It's repeated twice. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So John sees another angel with great authority, as it just said, and glory come down from heaven. This angel brings light to the earth by his glory, and I can say this may be a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, some have said. Or perhaps refers to a human agent given authority from Christ to announce the fall and other utter uh, wasting of the great harlot church Babylon. In chapter 14, verse 8 is the first time we come into uh, contact with this phrase that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. There the beginning of Babylon's destruction was announced in Revelation. In chapter 18 we read of its completion. So the utter corruption as a demonic stinkhole is proclaimed. It's exposed. Babylon is shown up for what it actually is, a hellish, demon-infested, spiritual prison. When it says it's a cage, the Greek word phylake means prison. When Peter was thrown in prison, or, John, or Paul and others, and John the Baptist, etc., same word. It was a prison. It's a holding place. Note that, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Interesting. Well, why does John say that? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire him to write that? Or why did, when he heard this angel proclaim it, uh, unclean birds in the Old Testament primarily were uh, scavenge birds, ones that ate carrion. You know, they, they were unclean. They were forbidden to Israel. And it says hated bird or hateful bird, uh, very ugly things. And then he goes on because this prison house of the forces of hell. And verse three talks about. For corrupting influence over world governments and kings. Note that for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Fornication spiritually is idolatry. If you go through the Old Testament very clear. When Israel turned away from God, began to worship idols, they were said to be adulterers because the Lord had espoused himself to them. And so if you want to know, well, what is this spiritual fornication? It's idolatry. And it can be either worshiping actual you know, images or it can be the idolatry of the heart. Remember in Jeremiah, when the God, God showed Jeremiah the, the hearts of the elders of Israel, when he broke up a wall and looked inside and he saw the elders of Israel burning incense to various demon gods in the Old Testament context, and God told him, this is what's going on in the imaginations of their hearts. Paul says a covetous man is an idolater when we put something before God or we desire those things that God has said no to, we become idolaters. Whatever and however this is manifested, all the nations, because of this with this, this harlot church, they've become drunk of the, the wrath of her fornication, the wine of the wrath, meaning the wine of her fornication that causes God's wrath to fall on people. God hates idolatry. He is the Creator. He is the Lord God Almighty. When He's dishonored, Judgment will eventually fall unless people turn from it and come to him for mercy. We're told the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This world system of idolatry and oppression, people get rich on it. We see it going on in our own country today and in the world. But in this case, we just see the idolatry of this harlot church. It's affected the, the kings and the and merchants of the world and Money, 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 you know, greed, greed, greed is what's motivated them. John says in verse 4 that I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, 
lest you share in her plagues and lest you receive of her plagues. Share of her sins, rather, and receive of her plagues. Probably one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible right there. We're like, why? God's calling his people to come out of the harlot church. Now, I understand this primarily to be a reference to the institution that's known today as the Roman Catholic Church. And so somebody says, oh, you hate Catholics? No, I don't. God has a lot of his people in that church, okay? Just because someone's a Roman Catholic doesn't mean they're not one of God's elect. Uh, I think it was uh, Haley pointed out in his Haley's handbook when he goes over this section. He, said, he pointed out, he said, you know, there's been a lot of really beautiful hymns written by Roman Catholics. There's been some pretty good theology come out of what we would call, you know, Roman Catholic studies. There are people in the Roman Catholic Church that truly love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you lose sight of that, you'll never be able to be an effective witness to help call them out of that system. Okay? So we shouldn't write people off and say, oh, well, if he's a Catholic or whatever, he can't belong to Jesus. That's just flat out not true. But here we do see two things. One, God does have some of his people in the Roman Catholic Church. And if we're going to say, well, isn't this a little broader than just the Roman Catholics? Yes, every form of apostate church. Lots of times there's Christians who are in those groups, true Christians. But God calls them out of that. He doesn't say stay there. As they grow and as they read, we say, well, how does that happen? Well, what do you think the Protestant Reformation was? You know, we see the millions of people that became Protestants at the Reformation. How did they do that? Did they join a new club? Did they send in a coupon or something? No, they read their Bibles. Luther was smart by God's grace. I mean, with that true spiritual wisdom, he translated the Bible into German. People read it. You've heard me talk about this before. When they opened the Bible and read it, it wasn't talking about the Pope and about the cardinals and about the sacraments and the way they're taught in Rome. It wasn't talking about prayers to Mary and the saints and rosaries and pilgrimages. It was talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected and salvation freely from him. And people realized, Roman Catholic people, people that would be considered Roman Catholic, when they read it, they realized they'd been lied to. And that's why the Reformation took off, you might say, with a vengeance. It was hard to control it, actually, sometimes. You had people, you know, the iconoclast movement earlier, but then at the Reformation, people went into the various churches that were owned by the communities. They went in and they tore down the idols and they got rid of them. They broke them open. They, you know, found, by the way, and a lot of them that, you know, had, well, look, our statue of Mary actually sheds tears. And they found, oh, yeah, when they busted it up, they... Yeah, with the little copper tubes running through it, all you had to do is squeeze a bag, and sure enough, your little idol would cry. So there's always these fake miracles that had people deceived. But it was with a vengeance because they got the word of God, and people came out. People have been coming out of this false system. And by the way, apostate Protestantism is just as much a part of this because she's the harlot, Rome is, and the mother of harlots. And when I, I don't mean... Protestantism is apostate. I'm saying that within what we call Protestant, and by that I just mean evangelical Christians that read the Bible, all right? There are those who turn away from God's word, who buy into the worldly ideas, and who love their sin more than they love God. And they're just, they're absolutely part of this. So this is broader than just the Roman Catholic Church, but the Roman Catholic Church is the foundation. I believe that, that the Pope represents the man of sin who sits, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 sits in the temple of God. It doesn't just say a rebuilt Jewish temple. I don't think that's going to happen. 
but he sits in the neos to theu, the sanctuary of God, the holy place of God. That's the church, declaring himself that he is God. When he sits, and as I say, it's Roman Catholic dogma that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, when he speaks from the chair, when he's seated in the chair supposedly of St. Peter, I don't think Peter had a golden throne though, uh, but when he speaks from that chair, it's the voice of God on earth, and whatever he decrees, it's no longer open for debate. It has to be received as an article of faith. So in the 1870s, he declared himself to be infallible, and then he declared the worship of Mary to be uh, mandated, that Mary ascended into heaven, that he, he decreed, uh, and she's now co-redemptrix with Jesus. That's why they have the cult of Mary where they pray to her and the other saints. All these lies... God calls his people out of this. So we have to remember, as I say, that God does have yet some of his elect ones in the Babylon harlot church, whatever form it may be. Uh, like Lot, when he abode in Sodom, the angels came and got him out of there, though they told him, we can't destroy this until you're out of here. So God calls his people out of, uh, out of Babel, same as he called Lot out of Sodom. It is God who must call them out. Please note that. God's the one who speaks and says, it was a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. So it's clear who's speaking there. It's God himself. He calls them out. The voice from heaven is understood again as God's effectual call. You and I can call people to change. It's not going to happen. When God calls them through his word, through the witness and preaching of his church, his true church, then the Holy Spirit blesses it. The word comes with power. Their hearts are changed. They come out. So we need to pray for them and not, not hate anyone. It's the authoritative proclamation of the true gospel of Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior that people's lives are changed. So therefore we have to be wise and gentle when seeking to win those who are in the, the papal church. In 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we find a similar statement given. And this is why some say, well, can't we just all get along? Well, of course we want to try, but that's not the same as joining hands with unbelievers. Note what Paul says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now, an unbeliever, you say, yeah, but they say they believe. If you believe that the Mass saves you, if you believe that the priest, through his power, can change bread and wine into the actual physical body and blood of Jesus, and they will go the distance on that, and they believe that with all their hearts, that is the grossest form of idolatry you can come up with. If you talk to a Buddhist and you ask him when he's bowing down to his statue of Buddha and praying, if you say, do you believe that is Buddha? He will tell you, oh, no, of course not. It just represents Buddha. And, that's, and so we're not really praying to the statue. We're praying to what it represents. So that's well, still idolatry. Bible, God says not only you're not to make idols, you're not to bow down to them nor serve them. If you ask a Roman Catholic, do you believe that the bread and wine is actually Jesus? They won't say, like the Buddhists would say of his statue, Oh, it's just a symbol representing, you know, what we believe. They'll say, yes, that is actually physically Jesus. When the priest 
consecrates the bread, and when he consecrates the wine, that becomes the physical body of Jesus. And that's why the Heidelberg Catechism said it's a gross idolatry and an abomination to God. They're worse off than the pagans with that belief, because they're saying that that piece of bread is really Jesus. And that's why they bow down to it. And that's why they say, behold your God, when the priest holds up the monstrance. And so it's a very bad system. And so when we say, well, are we saying these are, you just said that there's believers in Rome. Yes, there are. They're not there because of what Rome teaches. They're there because they've gotten a Bible, perhaps, and read it, or had a priest that actually taught the gospel. But in this case, the overall system is idolatrous. Anyone that teaches you it's okay to bow down to idols and pray to dead spirits, and that's what they're praying to, uh, that's idolatry in the worst form. That's why Paul says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. There's that phrase, by the way, the naos of the living God. He's talking to the church there. You're the temple. That's why we identify the man of sin as one who comes up within the church making these outrageous claims. He says, uh, you are the temple of the living God. That you is plural there, by the way, y'all, meaning corporately. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their people and they shall be my people. Therefore, and here, note, echoing or reflecting the same thing that is said in Revelation. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. You can't be in fellowship with idolatry. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God, in Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthians, you've got to separate from evil. You can't participate in idolatry. Christians can't go to the Mass, is what that means. You can't participate in it. You have to be very wise about these things. And so here we see uh, that this harlot church, uh, indeed, teaches the false gospel, and God calls his people out of that. And we're told why, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And then it says in verse 6, Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. Talking about God's just punishment. Now somebody said, well, wait a minute, shouldn't it be equal? What she's done, she should get back. Here it says double. Isn't God being unjust in punishing the, the harlot church double? No, he's not. Because the sins that they committed, the sins that this harlot church committed, were twofold. It was against the holiness of God and against the innocence of the saints and martyrs of Jesus that she murdered. So there was a twofold sin committed in her actions, one against God and the other one against his people. So her punishment matches her crime, the guilt of her crime. She's punished double. In the measure she has glorified herself, in verse 7, and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. So she's secure, confident. Then here's what God says. Therefore her plagues will come in one day. Notice how several times it's mentioned. In one hour her plagues come. The destruction of this harlot system is going to be swift and complete when it happens. He says her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Now whether this is through revival, and God turns the hearts of people that are in that system, opens their eyes, I think we may see that, because if you remember that multitude that was before the throne was innumerable in chapter 5, 
And so here we see God can do that. You know, he can destroy this harlot church by opening the eyes of those who are held captive by its false doctrines. That would be wonderful. However, God is pleased, though. But if they don't repent, if they don't turn their hearts to him and don't come to him, then they'll be destroyed uh, with the harlot. And so she'll be utterly burned with fire. This swiftness, it almost sounds like nuclear destruction. And I'm not one of those guys that, you know, gets a newspaper out to interpret the Bible. But this is pretty swift. We do know today that a city can be destroyed in a moment. It happened twice in 1945 in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There was a city and then there was no city. And everything there was gone. And gone forever and radioactive. Now I realize they rebuilt those cities. But this says this is going to be gone. This system is going to be gone forever. The kings of the earth who committed fornication, verse 9, and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. So they stand at a distance and they see the smoke going up. Like I say, my thought, I just wondered when I read this, are they seeing a mushroom cloud coming up? Or is it just a conflagration where they're seeing the city aflame? Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. It was there, and then boom, it wasn't there anymore. Now, whether that's talking about the city of Rome, which does seem to be referenced in these prophecies, and I have friends in Rome, and people that I know, I certainly don't want them destroyed, or it could just be referring to the system, because again, symbolically, uh, but it's going to be destroyed. That's the good news. You know, the whole next chapter, chapter 19, is about praising God because this harlot church is gone, 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 forever off the face of the earth. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. They were getting rich. Now she's gone. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. Then it names it off. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stone and pearls. These are all the things the harlot was clothed with, if you remember in chapter 17. Every kind of citron wood. Those who, that now goes beyond that. We see all the things people trade in. Every kind of object of ivory. Every kind of object of most precious wood. Bronze, iron, and marble. All the things that men consider beautiful and valuable. And cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, pretty much covers the whole economic spectrum. And then we read in bodies and souls of men. So we see the idea of slavery being promoted in this. And if ever they're, you know, trafficking in the souls of men, it's false gospels and false churches. But then it tells prophetically the harlot city, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. They're gone for good. The Greek's very clear in this, that uh, when these uh, pleasures and these beautiful things are, are taken away, they're taken away forever. In verse 14, it actually says, The autumn fruits of the lust of thy soul departed from thee, and all the sumptuous things and the shining things departed away from thee, and they shall no longer in any way be found. It's a total and complete and permanent destruction. So they mourn and they uh, lament their wealth is no longer going to be happening. Verse 15, The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment. They stay far away weeping and wailing, saying again, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in linen, purple, and scarlet. That's the way the harlot church was described earlier uh, in 17. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches come to nothing. 
Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. And some say, well, could that be symbolic of like Rome's missionaries or something like that? Jesus referred to the Pharisees. He said, you cross land and sea to make one proselyte, one convert. And when he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. So it could be a reference to those who travel in merchandising men's souls. But they cry out when they see the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. They made tons of money. For Again, for in one hour she is made desolate. But then note here what God says to his people and to those who belong to him. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. God didn't forget the cries of his people when they were murdered by this wicked harlot church in conjunction with the kings of the earth. He knows his own and he will avenge their blood. That's what he did. And then verse 21, very interesting. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. Interesting, you know, we're reading a symbolic book and here... To show the destruction of this wicked city, this system, an angel takes a millstone, you know, it's used to make flour, and throws it in the midst of the sea, saying, thus with violence the great city Babylon will be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. That's interesting, because the Bible does talk about millstones. Um, and Jesus actually referred to millstones in Matthew 18, verse 6. Mark 9:42 and Luke 17:12. I'll read the passage from Mark. He said, "And whosoever shall offend, that is, lead into sin, one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea." Here we have this description of basically those that harm children, saying that he would uh, be better if they had a millstone put about their neck. And they were cast into the sea. That should be noted, and I'll mention this. We see the scandals that have rocked the Roman church throughout the world, but chiefly in the United States. And it should be noted that the San Francisco Diocese of the Roman Catholic Church has filed for bankruptcy, along with several other dioceses throughout the United States, because it has over 500 sexual abuse claims against its clergy. More than 6,800 Catholic clergy have been credibly accused by over 19,000 victims of sexual abuse in the United States. And you can go look up www.abuselawsuits.com if you want to check that out. The 2021 United States Conference of Catholic Bishops uh, report identified 2,458 priests involved in allegations of child sexual abuse. Any other institution that had these kind of numbers would be considered a criminal organization and shut down and made illegal. And they'd be put out of business. They wouldn't be allowed to declare bankruptcy. By the way, they declare bankruptcy so they don't have to pay their victims. Oh, we don't have any money. It's like, really sell some of your real estate, okay? They've got billions of dollars. And the people that are on the other end of this that have been harmed by these priests are saying they're declaring bankruptcy so they don't have to give up any of their money. But look, look the numbers that are involved in this. In Jan on Jan as of January 28, 2020, 41 Catholic dioceses and religious orders 
have refused to release any list of accused priests. 81% of abuse victims between, now they have a list, but from 1950 to 2002, 81% were boys. The Roman Catholic Church has already spent over $4 billion in over 8,600 cases in settlements with billions more yet to come. You see this idea of a millstone being cast into the sea? It's not an empty phrase or an empty picture. Many Roman Catholic bishops transferred accused priests to new positions in other Roman Catholic churches to cover up their crimes where they continue to have access to children. This is common knowledge. In 2012, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops adopted a, quote, zero-tolerance policy toward this, and that's commendable. But it was then revealed in 2019 that numerous bishops across the United States had withheld hundreds of names from their list of accused clergy. So they're still covering it up. Now, there are approximately uh, 410,000 Roman Catholic priests worldwide. Most of them are probably pretty decent guys, okay? Uh, but 80% of the reported sexual abuse by Roman Catholic clergy is in the United States. 80%. And the reason why is because in the United States, there's enough freedom where you can report it. In other predominantly Roman Catholic countries, nothing is done. Uh, reporting abuse is not encouraged. The abuse is most likely worse in the countries where the Roman Catholic Church has a stranglehold on the culture, the population, and the governments. Nothing is done. Joseph Ratzinger, a.k.a. or known as uh, Pope Benedict, the last one before the current one, he resigned under accusations that, his, uh, that he'd covered up abusive priests while he was bishop in Germany. That's why he stays in the Vatican, won't leave the Vatican. It's been said if he goes to Germany, he'll be arrested. So he just stays there. So what's the point of all this? Want to bring out everybody else's sins? We've got sins of our own we need to deal with. We're talking about an institution that's... Destruction is described as a millstone being thrown into the depths of the sea. And we have our Lord Jesus Christ who said, those who harm children, they'd be better off if that's what happened to them. So I think the two things are very closely related. The point of all this is that when the governments and nations of the world finally get their eyes opened, they will destroy the Roman Catholic Church and every other harlot church that has destroyed their children. If you know in verse 22 and 23, Babylon's destruction is total and permanent. The millstone cast down with violence, he says, Rome's going to, or Babylon's going to be destroyed. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters uh, shall not be heard in you anymore at all, the idea. The craftsmen of any craft shall not be found in you anymore. The sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. It will be a place of destruction and darkness. The voice of bridegroom and bride, that refers, I believe, to Christ and his true church, shall not be heard in you anymore because the Christians are out of it. That system is destroyed. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Now, that doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church killed everybody that ever got killed, but it means the principle of murderous persecution was found there. And, you know, and there, so that, that's the characteristic. The good news of this, and the next chapter bears this out, the good news is this evil system of man-made false religion, whether it's sacramental or whatever, it's going to be gone off the earth. 
Okay, I don't believe that this happens right before Jesus comes. I believe this happens a long time before our Lord finally returns. This false system is going to be gone. You know, some have said, well, what are the three marks of the beginning of the millennium? Well, the conversion of the Jewish people, the conversion of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, and the destruction of the kingdom of Antichrist in all of its forms. We just read what I believe is the first one there, the kingdom of Antichrist, and then upon that basis we're going to see the Jews and Gentiles evangelized. And I do believe that the section referring to the millennium refers to a great revival that's long-lasting, possibly a thousand years on the earth. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to that chapter. But the point is, is that the false system, as Jesus said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. All the false, think of all the, the darkness in men's minds and the, the false gospels. Won't it be great when that's gone, when this false system is destroyed, and when the truth of God's word goes forth without having, you know, whether papists or apostate Protestants or whatever they want to call it, liberalism sometimes is referred to in, in theological areas, when they're not there to twist, yea, hath God said, when they quit twisting scripture and perverting the gospel and lying, when these false religions are swept away by the light of the truth of God's word. That's what we need to pray for. Jesus taught us to say, your kingdom come. Some say, well, can you really, you know, I thought it's just going to get bad, bad, and worse, worse until Jesus. No, Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a suggestion. That's a prayer. And Jesus is saying, pray that because God hears prayer. Here's what to say. Our Father, which art in heaven, or our, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name may be holy. Uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it talks about giving us our bread, forgiving debts, etc. And at the end he says, and you're to pray and say, and do not lead us into temptation. Don't let us fall into sin. But deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's, again, it's not a suggestion. It's a prayer. The Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and baptize the nations uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make disciples of all the nations, teaching them whatsoever things I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, that's not a suggestion. That's a battle plan. Christ is going to, the truth is going to sweep away everything that's false. That's why we need to get the truth out. First get it in our own hearts, then get it in our mouths, and get it in our actions. And then we'll see God begin to work. We need to repent. We need to repent of our failure to witness to other people. We need to repent of our, our refusal to speak up in the face of blasphemous doctrines. And wicked practices. We need to speak up as God's people and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the love of God, the mercy, and the victory that Christ has promised his people that he is going to accomplish. Whether you believe that happens before the millennium begins or you believe that happens when Jesus returns, I hope you understand we're called to victory. We've already been brought out of death into life. And if you can say today, the Lord saved me, I love him for it, well then praise his name and tell others. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. I hope so, because that's why we're here. And like I mentioned, God has his people even in what we would call the harlot church in all of its forms. He calls them out. How does he do that? Well, we speak to their ears. God speaks to their hearts. And that should be our hope and prayer. So may God give us grace 
to repent of our sins, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then begin honoring Him in our lives and in our words and in our thoughts by turning away from our sins and turning to Him and putting Him first. May God be pleased to bring that about. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We pray that you would help us, Lord. Keep us safe from every false way, everything in us that's false, whether as individuals or as a church. Deliver us from it and help us to love you and to walk according to your word. Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray that you would hasten the day when the gospel will go forth again in power and when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas, Lord. Use us, we pray, for that purpose. Sanctify our hearts. Help us to be useful and ready and clean instruments in your service. Forgive us our sins. Help us to love you and love one another. And this we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I believe we have a closing hymn.